All right. Good evening, Rob. Hey. Good to be with you, man. Yeah, you too, Jeff. This is our first official Cornerstone conversation. We've it's going ta- to be good. It's going to be a good one. We've been talking about this for a while, and uh, here we are. So we're out here on a Sunday night, and usually we're in the sanctuary at this time, but we're in the fellowship hall. We've got a bunch of friends with us and uh, family members and church members, and we're thankful that they're here. And uh, we're going to begin what we're going to do as a podcast, and again, calling it Cornerstone Conversations, where we just want to take the types of conversations that you and I have as we meet throughout the week and just sharpen one another with biblical topics or cultural topics. And we just want to kind of let other people in on those conversations in hopes that it would be encouraging to them and give uh, people an opportunity to to be encouraged maybe as they're driving to work or other times where they can just listen and, uh, and hear these conversations. And so it's another medium. We have these great tools and we have um, Michael Spirito has hooked us up with some great equipment here to, to make this possible. So we're thankful to kick this off. Uh, as I said, we're going to be covering, tonight we've got biblical topics related to your recent sermon series in Romans. Uh, we may get to a question from the Gospel of John. We'll see how we do <laughs> being concise. It's, it's not a, probably not a real good chance of that happening. But if we can get to it, we might get to the Gospel of John a little bit, which is where we're going to be going through next yes. in the sermon series. We're going to work through that Gospel together. So um, why don't we just dive in? Let's dive in. I'm ready. Um, all right, good. So first question on the letter of Romans is if you had to pick, Rob, which is your favorite section of Romans and why? And you've set me up for failure right from the start with that loaded question. Yeah. Um, is there a more glorious book than Romans? So as I think through it, I, I have to, this is how my mind works. I've got to work myself through it and then we'll circle in on that. Yeah. So just take just a minute to kind Go of get it. a little yep. refresher on the beauty of what God has done in uh, preserving for us that letter of Romans. Um, so Paul starts off by telling the saints there how much he desires to preach the gospel to them. And then he starts that conversation, that, that letter, by obliterating any possibility that their human efforts or their ingenuity or their nature could get that job done. He declares God's provision through Christ. And I want, I want to just grab a verse out of chapter 3 yeah. uh, to, to kind of get our minds clear on that offering. Chapter 3 and verse 28, uh, where Paul writes, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So he makes it very clear. He obliterates human possible uh, attaining to, to righteousness. Mm-hmm. And he says, here's the only hope you have. It's found in the righteousness of Christ offered to you through faith. Then he goes through in chapter 4 and he illustrates um, justification by faith in the person of Abraham. And then in chapter 5, he does something really cool. I know because I know you studied through Romans yep. uh, with, with the church in Washington. He, he justifies his one-for-many discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, in He, he con- compares how Adam's sin is passed to many, and then he talks about how Jesus' obedience is then transferred to many. So he justifies that one-for-many concept. Mm-hmm. And then in chapters 6 through 8, he addresses the problem of sin. 
In chapter 6, we're no longer under the tyranny of sin. In chapter 7, we're no longer under the impossible reign of the law. And then in chapter 8, he talks about life and righteousness through the Spirit. And he doesn't leave us hanging, like as if this is, well, maybe this will happen and maybe it won't. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, he guarantees that God is going to get that job done. He guarantees righteousness and the fulfillment of his promises um, through God's own hand. And then, of course, in chapters 12 through 16, he demonstrates uh, the application of the gospel. So having kind of got that little framework there, chapter 8 is perhaps the greatest portion of the greatest book in the only composition that God has revealed to us. So like the opportunity to to talk through and think through and having preached through Romans 8, I feel uh, honored. And to think through it tonight with you, I I find it to be of uh, great value. He starts chapter 8 by telling us that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 1 he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's There's no condemnation. At the end he tells us that there's no separation in these glorious verses, verses 31 and following. He says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What shall or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like he just eliminates any right. possibility that we can be separated from that love. Right. He lets us know that God is for us. Right. Yeah, it covers like every category, right, of anything that could possibly threaten us and and just reassures us of the love of God. Yeah, it's a great, great section. So and, and it's how, hard to dispute. And yeah, how much does he love us? section is, yeah. He loves us so much that he, he laid out his only son. Mm-hmm. If he'll lay out his only son for us, mm-hmm. What else do we have to question? Right. So like, with all of that said, just we can take out the microscope just for a moment and look at Romans 8.3. In English, um, he, he says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
the, the literal Greek wording or kind of smoothed out Greek wording is mm-hmm. for what the law was unable to do in that it was weak through the flesh, God. Mm-hmm. It's like an incredible parenthesis, God, period. You know, your version, I think, says God did, and right. it's in italics yep. because right. it's, there's no word did. Right. What the law could not do because my flesh was so weak, mm-hmm. God reminds me of Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses right. and sins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But right. God. Like what can a dead person contribute, right? Exactly. He just says, I'll, yep. I'll do it. Right. You can't. Right. You're absolutely unable. You can't do it. I'll do it. And how did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, who for sin, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Think about the contrast in verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the reason for that is because God condemned sin. Instead of condemning me, he condemned sin because Christ laid down his life for me. I think about the greatest book, in the greatest composition, and you kind of can really boil it down into the greatest chapter, and for me, yeah, and then you find those verses of gold, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, it's awesome, like you said it's hard to hard to argue with that, man, it's a great a great section there, and it it calls back to chapter one that I think you mentioned earlier, the idea you know as Paul talks about the unrighteousness of man, you begin to see just how desperate our plight is, like there's nothing. Any of us are going to be able to do to solve this problem. And then God begins to introduce himself as the rescuer, right? Chapter, especially chapter three and following. Mm. And uh, and then, yeah, this is awesome kind of, in a way, climax in chapter eight and that great section about his love and nothing separating us from his love. And that's why you talk about all the time and I talk about all the time his love. We could say, well, why, you know, okay, just keep love, you know, love, 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 love. Okay, what's the, you know, it seems like gets redundant. Why would you keep talking about that? But and maybe, maybe I'll just let that let you say more about it, elaborate on that. So why would you? Why would you come back around to that? How, how is it that that seems like almost this? You're presenting it like a silver bullet. So why why is that? Because we have the creator of the whole wide world, who created everything perfect. Yeah, and we messed it all up. Yeah, and in the face of our rebellion, God says, "I love you." Yeah, not generically not by sweeping it under the rug, but by absorbing right. the righteous wrath that necessitated right. by our sin. Right. And he absorbed it in his son. Right. The, the, the word propitiation. Right. So love the term. People maybe understand it or don't understand it. but It's a big word. That's <laughs> not one used every day. But through yep. Christ laying down his mm-hmm. life, every ounce of God's wrath against my sin mm-hmm. has been taken away. There's no, there's no wrath left for my sin. Jesus absorbed it all. He satisfied right. it right. completely. Right. That's where I was thinking about this morning, preaching through Luke 19 about Zacchaeus. Awesome. Uh, and I don't know if it connected. Jill and I were talking about it this afternoon. As usual, we review the message. You probably did that with Amy too, where you're like, oh, you know, I, I left this out. Or I wish it was, hey, how did, was this clear? You know, so we're kind of, you know, talking about it and, and 
we we talked about it and she, and, uh, she was helpful and said, yeah, it's probably, I don't know if it was connected super clearly, but that idea of Zacchaeus' name, ironically meaning the righteous one mm. or the clean one, and yet that guy's track record, I mean, how much evidence was there that he was not in of himself righteous mm-hmm. or clean? And in Christ's pursuit of him, Christ was offering him the complete absolution and forgiveness and clothed him with the perfect righteousness that belongs to Jesus alone. Such an awesome story. And to know that all the wrath deserved by Zacchaeus, deserved by you, by me, God took upon himself in his son, and it's gone. Forever. It's just amazing, amazing status that we have. And we're learning little by little to live in the truth of that. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about the love of God and over and over saying it, it's not just words, right? It's not just empty sentiments or hallmark type, you know, warm fuzzies. It's like, no, that's our only hope because condemnation is such a problem in so many respects, right? And so we're freed from the main person whose condemnation matters, which is God. We're freed from his condemnation completely. And then even when we live with maybe our own condemnation of ourselves, or we condemn other people or this constant, you know, the melee of human interaction, but like the one voice that matters says yeah. you're loved. And that's, right. that's one of the great things. Paul, Paul kind of um, jockeys around with that in second, uh, first Corinthians chapter four. Oh, these people judge me. Yeah. Right. What, what, what does it make any difference? What they have to say yeah. He says, I don't even judge myself. Cause I'm, like if I if I did if I judge myself and I determine I'm yeah I'm, yeah I'm good right I'm good right is that reliable that, yeah. like that's what not even a reliable judgment the, the one who right. judges me is God yeah and that's where all. where Romans yep. chapter eight says who can condemn you and it says oh Christ could mm-hmm. Christ could condemn you but he died for you and he doesn't <laughs> the, he doesn't the judge yep. who could condemn me laid down his life for me that's right. love right that's this. We we can't get over that. Yeah, we is can't a, get over that. If we get awesome, over that, it means we're missing we're missing the reality. Yeah, we, we don't understand it. Yeah. Right? You can't understand it and then take that lightly or you know ignore that. I think this is old song, Michael Card song, contemporary Christian music from back when. Uh, it's about the the jubilee festival in the Old Testament, and there's this one line in the song where he says, um, "To be so completely guilty and given over to despair." to look into my judge's face and see a savior there. Mm. It's pretty powerful, right? Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. This, this is why we can rejoice in these conversations that we have. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I think I, they, they bring me to the edge of my my ability to, to keep my composure, honestly, yeah. as, I, as I think about how good our God is to us. Yeah. We yeah. experience it in so many ways, you know, the common things of life, Right. But but in the in the most important areas where God loves me on my best days, and He loves me on, the worst. on my worst right. days, yep. His grace is necessary in both of those occasions because I'm never so righteous that I don't need His grace, and I'm never so uh, sinful, sinful that, that I'm beyond it. That's right. That you've somehow forfeited it. Right. right? It's not possible. Yep. It's good. That's a, and that's a good segue for the next question. How's that? We, one one uh, question. And how much time do we take? I don't well, know. Only about a minute and a half. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's what it felt like to us. For whoever else, it's maybe pre- not quite preacher's that time short. scale. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We operate in a little different <laughs> ways in our own minds. Okay, so question two, and this is going to require me to th- to read three different 
brief passages in Romans, but it, but they all have to do with the same theme. And, it, and again, it fits right with what we were talking about. So in these three sections of Romans, Paul anticipates oppositional questions about his understanding of the gospel and its message of this radical grace and radical love, which reveal the human tendency to resist the message since it seems to give license to sin. Like it seems to say, well, if God loves you that much, and if it's that unconditional in Christ, then why not just sin? And so there's three different times. I'm going to read them quickly here. And then if you would just comment on how you understand why Paul anticipated those questions and then how he responded Hmm. to them. Sure. Okay. So the first one is in Romans 3 and it's verse 8. He says, and why not say, as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. So he there he mentions it. Later in chapter 6, it's mentioned twice in chapter 6. So chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then later in chapter 6, it's in verses 15 and 16. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So those three instances, Paul's anticipating that question. So for starters, why do you think he anticipated such a question? I'd I'd say to start with, because it's so radical, it's radical to think that God gives complete and utter forgiveness for increasing measures of sin. Mm-hmm. And and in the argument in chapter six, particularly, he talked in chapter five, where the where the law comes, sin doesn't decrease, right, but it increases. Mm-hmm. And then he says, but where sin increased, grace Super abounded right. is the who right. pair right. <laughs> super, right. and then the abundance. It's super abounded. It, it came in, and it where there's a one, two, three, four, five increase of sin. God was going ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a thousand, a hundred thousand, a hundred million with His grace. It's super abounded beyond anything that my meager efforts. Yeah, to sin could produce. Yeah, even that to think about because because our sin is incalculable in a way we would say that and and we are aware of it to a degree and we're sensitized to it to a degree. Mm-hmm. But as we talked about earlier, like God sees it all, and yet all that God sees, what you're saying is His grace far surpassed even all that He sees, which is we can't even calculate mm-hmm. all of it. All the times that we fail in terms of the letter of the law, in terms of the spirit of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, I don't know. To say we, we get an F minus in that, yeah. naturally speaking, is to put it mildly, right? And yet he he has this abundant grace. So, yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, so for one thing, you're saying, well, he anticipates the question because he's he's communicating a message that is radical. Um, so it makes sense that people, especially people who are religiously minded, might say, well, it seems like if you keep presenting this radical grace, then 
And if my sins, not only past, but present and also future are covered, then why not just sin more? But he, but he gets to something, I want you to talk about this. He gets to something deeper in terms of like the awakening to the reality of who God is and the reality of what God's done. Like, does that leave you in the same state of mind? Does that, would that allow you to just say, oh, good, I've got this license now. So what do you? Yeah, and I, th- I think he starts to address that there. Um, in in each one of those sections, he has a, a, a way that he addresses it. Mm-hmm. Um, in chapter 3, even before he anticipates that question, he's kind of setting us up for it, right? In chapter 3 and verse 2, um, after he says, you know, what, what advantage is it to, to be a Jew? If, if, if we've been entrusted with the oracles of God, right, and, and it, that's not enough, what, what advantage is it to be a Jew? And then so he says in, in verse 2, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted, and he uses the word pistuo, that's faith, right? You were yeah. entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? He uses another now a, a root, pistis, faith. What if someone were was without faith or not faithful in this process? What if someone were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God. God made all these promises. You've got them. You're holding them. And if that holding those promises in my hand in a record doesn't do me any good, well, what is, what is, what's the good? Well, our unfaithfulness is not nullifying God's faithfulness. He always does what he says he's going to do. So he has them seeing that continuity or, or that discontinuity, our unfaithfulness over against God's Faithfulness, And then a little later on in verse 5, he says, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Aren't we doing him a favor by mm-hmm. unveiling his mm-hmm. character? Mm-hmm. Like if, if I didn't sin mm-hmm. and God didn't have to judge, no one would know how righteous God was. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't I be rewarded for this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, that's not what he's getting at. He's, this is, he's trying to show them that their argument isn't so so wise. Right. And then he comes to, to that, that portion why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Yeah. He, he, he dismisses their argument very quickly. Their condemnation is just. Yeah. They're out of their minds, yeah. essentially. And yeah. then he goes on right. in chapter 3, in verses uh, 9 through 11, to talk about how all of us have been exposed. In verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. Jesus did the same thing, right? He expanded the law. You, you know, you say that it's um, a sin to have adultery with a woman. I'm going to expand that. Right. Well, it starts way before that. Right. Or, or how he dealt with the rich young ruler, right? Uh, oh, you know, tell me, tell me, what do I need to do, good teacher, that I might inherit or gain eternal life? Oh, keep the commandments. Oh, I've done all those from my youth. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Let, let, let's consider this. Right. Have, have you really kept all the commandments? And the reality is, no. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. If you really love your neighbor as yourself, go give it all, all away. And the rich young ruler had to leave pretty discouraged and disgruntled. He left. He's just like the rest of us. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. That's very comprehensive. No one seeks after God. All 
have turned aside. Then in verses 13 and 14, he talks about we're condemned by our words. Mm -hmm. Verses 15 and 16, we're condemned by our deeds. Mm -hmm. Verse 17, we're condemned by the way we think. And verse 18, we're condemned in our heart. We don't fear God. Right. And he concludes that little section by saying, the law doesn't bring justification. It brings revelation of your heart. You and I and everyone listening, watching, we're all sinners. And the law will never bring about justification. So you're asking the question, should we... Uh, what is the question? Get yeah. back there. Should we do evil that good may come? You don't have to think about whether you should add any evil. You've got plenty of it yeah, right. without your intention. And then right. the righteousness that God provides in the face of our evil is what makes this such an amazing message, right? So he talks about righteousness is only from God as a gift experienced through faith. That's what he tells us in verses 21 through 28. So it's really through the end of the So chapter. it's like what you're saying is it's like he doubles down on grace even as he's responding to that question. In one sense he's saying, "Hey, and what you just laid out there from Romans 3, hey, you're you're a radical sinner. So you better hope that God's this radically gracious and loving and then he goes on from there and it's yeah, that idea of um the transformation that takes place just in, in the heart, right, of mm-hmm. a heart awakened to him. So keep going. Keep so going. now in chapter 6, yep. slightly different. Yep. He comes off yep. the, the chapter 5 where he's, he's illustrating and justifying his one-for-many discussion, and then, and then he reiterates the fact that the law doesn't decrease sin but only increases sin. In verse 20, he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, mm. God, or excuse me, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned previously in mm. death, grace also might reign now through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Mm. And then he asked the question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Do we want to do God a favor so we can have everyone around say, look at that, look at that terrible right. sinner, so that we can say, look at God's righteousness abounding in its place. And, and his, his answer, very strong, emphatic in the Greek, right. may genoita, yeah, may right? it never be. May it never be. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in mine it says, by no means. Yep. Yours says something slightly yeah, different. I think the King, King James has God forbid. God forbid. Right. And yep. I just say, here we are, no way. Right. No. Yep. Yep. Way. Not a chance. It's easy. You Not said earlier, chance. you're out of your mind. Exactly. <laughs> you're out of your tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but the way that he starts to answer is can't, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He essentially says, you just, you can't. Right. You, you can't do, like, you could try. Right. You give it, give it the old college try and just figure out, all right, I'm just going to disregard God now. Forever, I, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've come to know Jesus as my Savior. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to disregard God from here on out. I'm going to mm-hmm. try like like a champ. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And his argument is, you've died. Right. Your old man is dead, and you've right. been united to Jesus Christ. You might give that a chance, and you might succeed for a short time, yep. but you can't remain there. It's 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 almost like it's it's virtually right. something's impossible. Something's fundamentally different, right? Yeah. Something's fundamentally changed. He's changed me at, at the at the heart level, and I'm thinking of um, Philippians. I think it's Philippians one six, where mm. Paul says, "I'm confident of this very thing, 
that the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Exactly. You know, and I joke about how, like, if I have the honeydew list at home, you know, sometimes I'm not super prompt in my execution of the items on that list, right? Husbands, are you with me on that out there? Yeah, no. I know you guys, I know your track record's perfect, but I'm not always uh, Johnny on the spot with getting those done. But that's me. If God says, hey, look, you're my, in Ephesians 2, you're my workmanship, mm-hmm. right? If it's God's workmanship, in, in some sense, we come right back around to he is faithful. He is the one that's going to ensure this. He, the work that he's begun, he, he's not going to be negligent. And we have our human ways of evaluating ourselves or other people or even other believers. And we want to kind of come up with our own judgments. But again, it's like, look, God's the, he's the true judge. He's the one who knows. And he says, once he starts something, he he's completes it. it. He gets it. He gets it done. Um, and then back to what you're saying here in Romans 6, it seems like, yeah, it's kind of like this This may it never be in the sense that there's this change that's taken place. And he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things we've been awakened to is that Christ is life. To have that reunion with our creator and to have tasted and seen that God is good. Mm-hmm. So now, yeah, even when we sin, which we all do, and we know mm-hmm. what that feels like, it's it, the emptiness of that, the yep. guilt, the shame that we experience against, like, are you really drawn to that? It's it's a kind of a crazy concept to think that you've been awakened to this amazing reality and that somehow you're just going to run back and not see the difference, right. not be able to remember what life is like. And then when you have those fleshly tastes of death, which again, if we're honest, we all still have, mm-hmm. but it just sounds like we can, in a very real sense, we can rest. There's some confidence, not just some, but like... Yeah. Ultimate confidence, right? Yeah. And then, but he even lets us know. He doesn't leave me thinking, okay, now I'm dead to sin, so I'm not going to sin anymore. He doesn't leave me there. He he talks about consider yourself dead to sin because you've died with Christ. Then he says, but don't let sin reign or rule, be your your king in your mortal body to obey its passions. Instead of presenting your members to sin and say, oh, uh, I, I have found you so helpful in the past. Right. I will continue yeah. to follow you now. Right. He says, no, don't yield yourself to sin. Yield yourself to God. You found him to give you life and joy and peace. Yield yourself to him. He, there, there is no ruler that you could give yourself to that is as benevolent and kind and providing as the God who has revealed himself to us. Yeah. So he he warns us, you will have some pangs of that old nature that will be feeling, feeling toward some pleasures that right. we used to find some glimmer of joy in. He says, those, remember what they really do? Remember what it really accomplishes? It does not lead toward life. It leads toward death. Right. And so that that comes to the next section because he asks it the third time, right? In verse 15. Mm-hmm. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And again, the same thing. God forbid, by yeah. no means, let it never be. No, this is not what it works. Because as he unveils in these few verses from 15 to 23, before we had a relentless, unfulfilling hell-bound taskmaster. Listen to verses 20 and 21. It says, For when we were slaves of sin, you were free. Or excuse me. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
what fruit were you getting at that time yeah, right. from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That's a, a relentless, unfulfilling, hell-bound taskmaster. Why, why do we want to go there? Instead, he contrasts that with the now, mm-hmm. a supplying, fulfilling, eternal life-granting father. Mm. Listen to these verses in 22 and 23. Well, I know you know them. I know you, you've preached through it and you've memorized it. Go for it. it. Yep, yeah. go for it. Verses 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord he says why would i want to invest myself in that which deprives me of joy and freedom mm-hmm. sin binds us mm-hmm. god frees us mm-hmm. god's grace is is abundant and kind and empowering mm-hmm. why would i want to choose something that enslaves me right Right. And to piggyback of what you were saying about the character of God and the heart of God as our heavenly father, I'm thinking of, I heard it said a while back that, you know, when, when, uh, you know, you, you, as a kid, you do something wrong and you kind of have this thought, well, I hope my dad doesn't find out or, you know, this is, you know, do everything I can to avoid letting my dad know what, what I did wrong. And one of the things that occurs is we start to understand the heart of our heavenly father for us is, there's this shift where it's like, no, now it's not, hey, uh, let me do everything I can to avoid him. It's like, no, I, I got to go talk to my dad. Like mm-hmm. now is the time. And Hebrews talks about how he he welcomes us into his presence. The veil is torn, right? Mm-hmm. He says, come anytime to find grace, to help in ni- time of need, right? You're we're always welcome into his presence. And, and so that, yeah, it, as he awakens us to that, while we still struggle with sin, which if we're honest, we all still do, and we will till we're home, there is this recurring reminder and invitation yeah. to come to him to be restored to his life. And so when it says there in the end of Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, as we're describing like the emptiness, the enslavement mm-hmm. of that. But the free gift, the gracious gift is eternal life. What we're saying is that eternal life is not just, hey, when you when you die, you're going to go to heaven, but but it's also this reality. And Jesus says it in John 17, I think. I think it's in John 17, 3, where he says, and this mm-hmm. is eternal yeah. life, that me. they might know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you've sent. It's that relationship. It's that restoration of relationship in which we experience life and the fruits of God's spirit, which is where we were in Romans 8, mm-hmm. and how... Ironically, while we can't in our in our flesh fulfill the law in any way, the irony is as we um, see what you think of this. But it seems like as we renounce our own righteousness, as we accept Christ's righteousness and the gift of righteousness, now we have this abiding, indwelling Spirit. Mm-hmm. And the irony is, as we uh, denounce our own righteousness, the fruits of actual righteousness are born in our lives through this miraculous work of the spirit. Yeah, true righteousness. True the, righteousness. The real stuff as opposed right. to the stuff that we've been right. trying to the manufacturing yeah, stuff. Trying to whatever. figure it out and try to right. try to try to do love acts right. and mercy acts yeah. um, that that come up short. They're yeah. they're not even secondhand. They're, they're like yeah. they're they're false. It's false love and it's false mercy. Yep. It's a it's a it's a form that maybe as you know because we have you know, even in our 
unsaved condition, we do have God's image stamped on us. There might be some form right. of, of right. genuineness to it, right. but it's, it falls far short of the beauty of God's love that God has poured out into our hearts through his spirit. Right. And so those fruitful demonstrations of God's spirit, as, as you mentioned, as we renounce our own self-righteousness and our own efforts, instead seeing the effort that God demonstrates forth mm-hmm. in and through us mm-hmm. that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, I labored more diligently than any of them. Yep. But it Yet wasn't me. I, right? It was the yeah. grace of God yeah. that was at work right. in me. Right. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, if I head back to something you mentioned about yep. God's nature and, and his care for us as, as our Father, and even mentioning that Hebrews chapter four and verse sixteen passage where we have grace and mercy, like he 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 does invite us. He tells us in verse fifteen that that Jesus feels with us in our weaknesses, even though when when he was tempted in the same way, he never catered. Right. And Jesus feels for us right. in our brokenness. And then he says, come boldly, or the word can be translated, come with freedom of speech. Come and let me know. Yeah. And as a, as a believer who knows God, you know, we, we have some certain fundamentals that we're very well aware of. God is omniscient. Mm-hmm. He already knows every single thing, not only that I've said and every single thing that I've done, but every single thing that I've thought. Where am I going to hide? Right. Where am yeah, I going right. to run to? Right. Right. I, I have a suggestion for myself. <laughs> run to him. Right. Run to him and just tell him, here I am, Father, broken. Right. Here I am. I. <laughs> Oops, I did it again. <laughs> yeah, back again. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's where Paul talks about the spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father, right? It's like mm. the awakening to just the heart of our God. And I think, wow, yeah, we have that invitation at all times because of what Christ did. We have free access, and that's amazing. And yeah, that's that's great, man. It's fantastic. Let's try to, let's try to get this third question in on the Romans topic. Oh, yeah. How are we doing for oh, we'll, time here? Oh, we'll get the third one in. But oh, getting, getting to the gospel of John, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah, probably not, <laughs> which we kind of knew. We knew we wouldn't make yeah, it. We're... Yeah. All right, so third question uh, and last one on Romans. As we are wrapping up Romans, probably this Sunday, I think you'll be finishing it up, or maybe one or two more messages, but just finishing up chapter 16. Uh, we encounter a lot of these greetings, and I remember you list, you know, reading the list of names, a lot of them hard to pronounce, right? Uh <laughs> And there's various things Paul is conveying to them. Why do you think Paul's letters, and Romans in particular, contain such personal words? And the follow-up question to that would be, what are the gospel's implications for relationships, as you understand from from your study of Romans, from your own pastoral experience? So here we go. And um, I might not answer that second one right away, so you can remind me. Um, But if you think about journeying through this life together with people— who are of like sinful flesh. Mm-hmm. And we have known, we, we're learning constantly more and more how merciful God is to us. And as we work and live life with other people that have experienced that same mercy, it gives you a real sense of brotherhood, sisterhood, mm-hmm. family. 
God has really made us a family together because we we understand that without God's mercy and without God's grace, um, we would be lost apart from Him. We'd of no hope without right. God in the world. You know, Ephesians two uh, eleven and so. Um, but God has united us together as those that have have received mercy and. God can give us a compassion for one another, to love one another. God binds us together. He unites us together. He ties us together in love. Um, I think as, as I read passages where Paul writes to, to these friends, it's like they're real people with real problems, but they've all come to find the real solution right. in Christ. Right. And Jesus is not ashamed to, in front of the whole congregation, call us brothers. Right. It's it's that same sense that he he ties us together with that. This is my brother. This is my sister in Christ. They they've come to this same precious faith in Christ. That's the the treasure of our our lives. And of course, as we as we move through life together, um, and our warts and sinfulness is shown. Um, God gives us great instructions, like Galatians six, where He says, uh, "My brothers, if if uh, if one of you is overtaken in any fault, yeah. you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of humility. meekness or yep. yeah, humility, yep. considering yourself, lest you also be yep. tempted. Yep. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. Mm-hmm. Like as we as we do that with one another, there's this this camaraderie, this family." Uh, love mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. God develops. Mm-hmm. Um, not not every believer joins into life that way together. Mm-hmm. It's it's those who kind of let you in mm-hmm. that really start to be um, intertwined into your life, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're willing to be honest. Right. It's not the superficial. Everything's great in my life. Don't worry about anything. You know, we're all doing great. My family's great. Yep. I'm Paint, great. Painted smile. Yeah. The fake, that, yep, fake We've got smile. our Sunday yep. best on. Yep. We've got our Sunday yep. best smile on. It's, yep. it's not that that produces yep. family love. Yep. It's when we deal with one another's dirty laundry a little bit. Yep. And we keep saying, I know what, you, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to struggle with anxiety, or I know what it's like to struggle with fear, or I know what it's like to struggle with... Uh, covetousness or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But remember, remember what God has offered to you is so much in, infinitely better mm-hmm. than, than these things where God, you know, where, where we struggle with anxiety, God, God offers peace. Mm-hmm. He, it's, it's, it's in him. Mm-hmm. He, it's not like that. Those magic words will take away the anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's just turning our eyes in the right direction. Right. And we live this life together. And it's like, I feel a real, sense of love and and family relationship with you because like we're doing this hard thing of life that's at one point going to come to an end mm-hmm. and we're going to enjoy the all the the fruit of what Christ has done for us mm-hmm. as we spend eternity in heaven um that will come to an end all the the difficulties of this life but let's keep pointing each other to him right yeah as we're on our way and waiting to get home right it's like it's i think of it 
you know, like used to run a little bit and ran a half marathon and there's the people standing along the side with the little cups of water, right? You're mm-hmm. running and you're tired and it's just that little bit to keep you going, you know, until mm-hmm. we're, until we're home. And so, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, good, good answer. Good summary. Uh, I feel like we covered a good amount here in Romans. <laughs> we didn't get to John, which we didn't think we would, but uh, covered a good amount here and had a good conversation about the gospel. Appreciate it, Rob. It was enjoyable as we expected it would be and look forward to more. We'll just talk about going forward, biblical topics, um, talk about maybe, maybe counseling topics, Mm -hmm. things that we had, we, you know, run into in the counseling office and that'll hopefully be encouraging, helpful to people connect right with their real lives. Are you going to name names? Uh, you will try to be careful about no. naming. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, nobody will ever come look to at, me for counseling ever again. Out. Yeah, right. Now we'll just change the name slightly. Come up with some rhyming name or something like that. No, but uh, you know, just to talk about counseling topics, things like that, and then um, you know, some cultural things that come up, maybe in the news or whatever. If there's an opportunity to to, to give a biblical perspective yeah. to help root and ground people in in the hope we have in the gospel, in the context of these issues that come up. Uh, that would be that'd be great as awesome. well. So looking forward to Me more too. conversations. Uh, why don't we, if if it's okay, why don't we bow here, pray quick to close us out, and um, and then we'll uh, turn the lights off here and <laughs> a little bright. We'll go back to normal life. All right, <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you for the time. Thank you for these good conversations, these sharpening conversations, these moments of clarity in which you help us to see and to believe in who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for giving us your word, inspired, recorded by flawed people thousands of years ago, but you miraculously preserved your revelation of yourself through these people and have given it to us so that we can read it, think about it, wrestle with it, sharpen one another with regard to it. We thank you for the the privilege that is. Thank you for Cornerstone and what you have done here and pray that you would continue to do your work, that the gospel would go forth, that you would preserve and cause the ministry here to bear fruit. We commit it all to you. We know it's not of ourselves that we humans would only mess things up. And so we just entrust the work to you and these precious people to you. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. Uh, Thank you most of all for Christ and what he has done for us, for for Rob, for me. Uh, Thank you for new life and the gift of righteousness. And we do pray, God, that you'd help us to walk in light of that and to when we find ourselves in disbelief or in in some form of the flesh's darkness and death, uh, God, please just continue to turn us around and help us to remember and help us to come back to you as a faithful father to to be restored to the life that we have in you and to experience the fruits of your spirit so that others might so that others might in this world experience extensions of your love and your grace and your mercy. So thank you for the time. Thank you for everyone who has uh, patiently sat in tonight and, and uh, supported us and prayed for us. And thank you for, again, what you're up to in, in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, that's it, everybody. (laughs) Golf clap. Yeah. (laughs) Wait for the until next time. This is your host. (laughs) (laughs) Cornerstone conversation.